Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, every day is Halloween, isn't it? For some of us. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't great, was it? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Right. So I'm going to tell you a story of a guy called Steve Wilkins. And a lot of the research for this was taken from a true detective magazine in an article written by A.W. Moss, who seems to have the majority of the facts of the case. So um, Steve Wilkins was born in 1953 and he lived with his parents in Grimsby. And we literally could have made a whole episode just based on what he did as a teenager. Um, Because at age 14 in 1967, Stephen was all over the newspapers because he had like a Catch Me If You Can style escapade. No, I love Catch Me If You Can. I was going to say, have you seen this one? I love that film. But if you haven't seen it, it's um, Leonardo DiCaprio. But it's a true story, isn't it? Mm. And he's just... The best bit for me is he goes to a new school and... um, he walks into the class and everyone's looking at him and sort of staring and then he just starts teaching it. And they, yeah, they and go he's like, it. yeah, turn. That's how easy it is to be a and su- does it for supply like teacher. Three months, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, so he did something quite similar. But the Frank Abagnale, who's from the film, did all sorts. He pretended to be an airline pilot. He pretended yeah. to be a doctor and really successfully for ages. Yeah. So Stephen, again, he was only age 14 at the time. And he said to his parents that he wanted to go and have a life at sea. And so he just sort of ran away from home and started hitchhiking towards London. He eventually made his way to Heathrow Airport, where he managed to get past security unnoticed and onto the runway. And I was just thinking, like, basically... I then went in this little weird stream of consciousness as I was making notes. And I was like, if you weren't a con man in the 1960s, which is a similar time to Frank Abagnale, then you really were a bit of a mug because it was just so easy to get by people. You could just go anywhere. But then I was like, well, that's like if thinking if you're a hacker now, then you're a mug because there's all sorts of ways to get around Mm. the computer. If you don't care, you could get in loads of places. You could just walk through stuff doors. Like, I'm sure you could wander around yeah. loads of pieces of public don't go and then i just thought well actually what i'm basically saying is just if you're smart you can do good things yeah. and then i realized i was drunk and gave up for the night <laughs> so the rest of the research took place the following day <laughs> so he'd gotten to past security airport security and um, it said that in the article he got past airport security and onto the runway but i would have 
think it'd be more likely to just get on the runway from a different angle. You don't need to go through security to... Yeah. But he did. And then he hid himself inside the cargo part. I think the... like inside a suitcase. <laughs> no. He got... It was a sort of cargo airliner thing, a BOAC 707 airliner. And from there, he stayed hidden throughout the entire flight to New York in a space that was about the size of a coffin. So just squidged in. That would have been... I mean, was it still as fast back then? Eight hours flight, maybe? Six hours, something like that? Yeah. They can't go much slower. They fall out the sky. True. (laughs) (laughs) So the plane landed at Kennedy Airport, but immigration officials caught him and then returned him to his parents. He was obviously pleased with the adventure because then he tried it again the next year. And the next day. <laughs> yeah. So again, he managed to stow away in a cargo plane. This one was a Pan American plane that was headed for Pennsylvania. Although, once again, when he got there, police were able to apprehend him on his arrival. Isn't it really dangerous travelling with the cargo, though? Because it gets really cold, because obviously it's not heated. Yeah. And that's how people... There was a person who fell out of the plane and survived, wasn't there? That people were trying to stow away. Well, if it's not packed, what if it's all, like, rolling round? I guess they maybe do things to stop it rolling round. But it's supposed to get really cold and it's really noisy. Like A lot of um, pets die, I think, that are transported, because it's the stress and the cold and... Well, they never, they haven't brought this up, but maybe being trapped in those aeroplanes for so long is what sent him a bit doolally. Maybe. I'm going to say so. It's basically sensory deprivement. Yeah. (laughs) Except the sense is freezing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, he received loads of positive reinforcement for this. He was featured in newspapers and like there's a photograph from the newspaper article where they have him posing with a uh, stewardess, like giving her a kiss as if like he was some (laughs) dashing hero. Like they loved this story. Brilliant. Um, It was thought at the time that even though his parents were despairing of his adventures, that at least he had a really specific skill set that he could put to use in later life. And that, you know, he could go on to be like a military spy or something. Um, But his mental state was proving to be really fragile. And his childhood antics, then later they were like, oh, that was probably a sign that he was a little bit dangerous. So they're not... There aren't many details about what happened with his next major crime. It took place in 1970. Um, But I think you'll probably be glad when you know what it was. Um, He was 17 years old when Stephen Wilkins was convicted of the rape of an 80-year-old woman. Oh, I was thinking it would be saving puppies or something. You'll you'll love it. He went really gross, really fast. Of how old? 17, and the woman was 80. So, yeah, that's just a power thing, isn't it? That's just an easy target. Oh, God. Um, but at this trial, they recognised that he was seriously disturbed. Yeah. So he was sent to Rampton Prison. Well, it's a high-security psychiatric hospital. It's in Nottinghamshire. And it held some really famous criminals. Beverly Allett was yeah. there. Ian Huntley was there. And I have a source of a source of a source who... You have an in. Well, I don't want to say who it is because they might get in trouble, but I haven't spoken to them directly. But someone I know has an auntie who works in the kitchens at Rampton Hospital and has done for years and years and years. And she apparently she's told... Can we put exclusive on this episode (laughs) then? (laughs) I want want them to get in contact with them. Like, oh, I don't really speak to that side of the family anymore. I'm like, no, (laughs) come on. I need an interview with this woman. Um, 
So basically, this hospital, obviously it has people who aren't criminals, but it has some of the most dangerous criminals, um, really the highest need. It's on par with Broadmoor. And if anything, it has had worse criticisms about its treatment of patients there. Um, So she says that there's some really long-standing residents there who've absolutely got no hope of recovery they've just been there their whole lives and it's just where do you put the people that are beyond anything and she also said that there's lots of people who have come in for like slight infractions and you've seen them go on a massive decline as soon as they've gone in and now they've got no hope apparently there's one example of a guy who was caught looking through someone's living room window so they were labeled a peeping tom and sent to rampton and then because of the conditions in there, their mental state has just deteriorated to whereas oh now God. they're acting as bad as some of the worst Whoa. case patients there now. Because that's pretty minor. Yeah, and they were obviously living a normal life, but now they're just beyond rehabilitation. Oh, that's messed up. Apparently there's lots of escape attempts made quite often. Um this person, like I said, worked in the kitchens, says that like where the entrance where the workers come in, there's been occasions where patients have been able to get to that sort of area and like jump on people as they're coming in to try and get out and things it sounds quite frightening and it has improved apparently massively since the 70s but even really recently there was a an article in the i think it was the independent which was saying about how people have been locked in rooms like naked for days and days and days they just have food like had food put through a hatch like they have no facilities because they were locked in this room because of their behavior with no sanitary facilities at all so they're just naked in their own filth was this one case that was told about in the independent but i think in the 70s it was a similar thing so horrendous treatment Mm. there they were just i think to in their defense like in those sorts of places like a lot of the NHS funding is really, really stretched and you're working with the highest need patients, really physically demanding job. And if you don't have the resources to help them, sometimes the last resort is to... Well, if they're going to use anything as a weapon or on themselves, I guess if you take everything away, but it is just a... Okay, what do we do? We'll just do this for a bit, but then you've got to come up with a plan. Exactly, because that's what they're saying. There was complaints about how sparse the rooms were and they were like cells. But then they're saying, well, we have to make them completely like suicide, self-harm proof. There can't be anything in there. So that's why they end up... So it's a really tricky situation just because of the high need that they're dealing with. So similarly for Wilkins, when he was there, he threatened workers and he attempted to escape um but i think perhaps because of his age they felt like he's someone that we can maybe make a difference with and effort was put into rehabilitating him he was apparently um put on some medication and his family complained because they said they could see him getting worse so they took him off the medication because of it but then he was sent to the rehabilitation unit called balderton and it wasn't a short process because it was nine years later when he was starting to... They were like, okay, we're thinking you're about ready. They sent him for a weekend visit home to his parents in Grimsby. That went really well. So 1979, that same year, 
who is continuing to show improved behavior. So they said, right, we're thinking about permanent release. So we'll give you two weeks leave to go home and see how you cope. Try and get a job, yeah. try and get settled. And then that's good. Is that what was it Graham Young who had the same and then he murdered someone in that time? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very similar. Oh, God. So around this exact same time that he was being released for two weeks, Yorkshire TV were making a documentary called The Secret Hospital. Um, It came in two parts and it had interviews with workers, inmates, former inmates, and it sort of was exposing the darker side of mental health care. And this was a really seminal documentary. It's on loads of lists as like the top 10 documentaries that changed Britain and things. But bizarrely, it's... I can't, you can't find it anywhere. No. I think you would have to write to Yorkshire TV to get a copy of it. There was a recent, there's a more modern one about Rampton, but it doesn't really go much into the history of it. It's more about what it's like today. There is, is it, I watched another programme on Cropsy. I think they show footage of the mental hospital over in America in a similar sort of time. And that's really disturbing footage. And I think it's probably... Mm quite similar so Wilkins was actually interviewed for this documentary and he complained of the poor standards of living and brutal treatment by um, staff to the patients and he was not the only person to do so and this documentary went on it won an international Emmy and it sparked national debate and they were pushing for reform so it was a big deal when this came out again this came out he's on tv just at the time that he's released And later, some criminologists, um, this Professor John Cohen, he said that the inclusion of these inmate interviews was potentially very dangerous. Um, And he described the documentary as being, quote, unwise action of screening individuals who are exhibitionists and psychopaths. And thought like with the media attention that surrounded him as a teenager when he went on to commit his crime, there's some who believe that this documentary then sparked him to go on to do what he did next so it's the tv's fault well that's what they say but i think the 10 years he spent nine years he spent in a psychiatric institution probably added to it so on the very last day of his fortnight's leave he'd had a good week he'd got um lined up a job with the decorator for when he got out and the very last day he went to visit a distant relative who had been kind enough to send him care packages and food parcels while he was in Rampton. Um, She was affectionately known by many of the Grimsby locals as Polish Marie. But um, 68-year-old Marie Jensen, um, she was born in the UK in Whitehaven. She had no obvious links to Poland. What? Yeah, no one really knew how she got the nickname. Do you think she used to do a lot of polishing and then someone mispronounced it once? Or maybe if you went round for dinner, the soup was always cold. (laughs) <laughs> what is this borscht <laughs> i don't know did you have borscht in uh we didn't go to because everywhere that sold uh polish food was just meat and potatoes and obviously uh. can't eat meat so we sort of had a curry no pierogies <laughs> we had some thai food <laughs> <laughs> nice um so she was well known for her acts of kindness because as well as she was sending these packages to Steve, um, Stephen Wilkins, she would also, a couple of weeks before, she'd taken a lot of clothes to this couple. She read in the newspaper that their home had been burnt down and so she just went around and took them loads of clothes. Aww. So a nice older lady. So according to the information at trial later, 
Marie Jensen had been painting a ceiling on the night of June the 14th, 1979, when Wilkins came by to see her. He was invited in for a cup of tea, and then he began to try and turn the conversation to sex. He was sort of flattering her, um, and eventually he asked if he could stay the night. So when his advances were flatly rejected by Mrs. Jensen, he became angry. And with an arm around her neck, he strangled her until she eventually passed out. So Wilkins then began to undress her. But while doing so, Mrs. Jensen regained consciousness and begged for her life. And Wilkins told her that he wasn't going to kill her, but he did take her upstairs to the bedroom where he raped her. Oh my God. Afterwards, she was obviously still incredibly frightened for his life because she knew why he was, why he'd gotten, like she'd yeah. been sending packages to his hospital so she knew what kind of potential he had to be dangerous so she tried to reassure Wilkins that she wasn't going to tell anyone I'm not going to report what happened like I won't say a word and it's thought that until this moment Wilkins hadn't really considered the consequence of committing this act so close to his release and then when she said oh don't worry I won't tell anyone he realized that she could tell someone yeah and that if there was evidence of this he was going to go straight back not to the Boulderton but he'd be right back to Rampton Hospital and this time without any hope of rehabilitation because he just proved them wrong so completely determined not to return Wilkins used his hands to strangle Marie Jensen to death Um, then knowing that he had to remove any physical evidence he then set fire to the bed and left the house only later to ask a taxi driver to take him back to the street so he could watch what happened next He's really messed up, isn't he? It's very seriously. Yeah. Um, so there's a passing police officer who first noticed smoke coming from Mrs. Jensen's house. And firefighters broke in and removed her body. And they thought it must be smoke inhalation. So sent her off to hospital. And at Grimsby General, she was pronounced dead on arrival. Then at the autopsy, they noticed the contusions on her neck and police knew they had to find a murderer. So Wilkins was known to be on leave, obviously from Britain's highest security hospital, so he was immediately the prime suspect, Mm. and his description was circulated throughout the country. So Wilkins, meanwhile, had gone to great lengths to evade capture. He stole a camper van from Grimsby Docks and headed for Scotland. Um, With him was a 17-year-old girl who, due to her age at the time as there's her name's not so he just picked up some 17 year old said there's like she was a friend of his or a lady friend um he's only been out of hospital for two two weeks weeks. um but he's early 20s he was in the 70s sort of style i guess quite good looking i mean i guess you could have like you could be dating someone for a week yeah and he was like come on adventure with me he was a grown man 17 year old girl probably he wouldn't i'm sure he didn't tell her where he'd been no um So, it was a few days after the murder, on the 18th of June now, Wilkins and his young acquaintance had made their way north as far as Berwick-on-Tweed, and they were required to stop at Coldstream Petrol Station. So, Wilkins left the girl in the van, and he went inside saying, I'm just going to go and buy a map. And working behind the counter was 63-year-old Sidney Mowit. So, not much is known about what occurred next, Uh, Most likely, I think the simple fact is just that Wilkins didn't have any money to pay for what he needed. 
Um, but whatever occurred in there, Wilkins stabbed Sidney to death and left him just on the counter. Oh, my God. He then stole the contents of the till, £89, and drove off. Don't know if he got the map or not. Um, it didn't matter because he didn't get a chance to go far. They got about less than a mile away when, luckily for everyone in Berwick-on-Tweed, he got a flat tyre and the campervan had to stop. Then, this isn't the first time a nosy farmer has saved the day. A nosy farmer noticed this camper van with this guy, thought it was suspicious, and called the police. Like, I'm sure we've had that before. Mm. It's like a farmer just noticed someone they hadn't seen before. We had that with the double act going around Scotland as well, who painted their car weird. And yes, and the ho- hotel owner, they just asked for a yeah. room. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to ring the police. But this farmer yeah. thought, they look odd. There's a few civilians the who've acted who've saved solved a case yeah just i guess ring the police if you are concerned yeah better than going home and saying i saw something weird today i guess but then if i saw a car where i didn't normally see a car i don't think i'd think to call yeah I've that's true stuff. and it depends what you think a suspicious person looks like i've seen weird stuff and not done anything and thought i wondered if it was something mm-hmm. maybe i should be calling the police more well the officers you- were able to arrive um, before they'd gone anywhere. So Wilkins just ran off and he dived into the River Tweed to try and escape. I thought he might have died. He didn't, but he was caught almost immediately. And so he was just straight away charged with Cindy Moat's murder. Um, by October, he'd gone to trial and been jailed for life. Um, five months um, into his life sentence in 1980 he was still only 27 years old wilkins then was once again in court this time it was on the murder charge of marie jensen um he did admit to the murder the rape and the arson um but at the hearing his defense were trying to mitigate the circumstances and show that it was due to this extreme cruelty at rampton that pushed him to murder um because he just couldn't face going back there um, the judge refused to listen to any claims of mistreatment, saying, quote, I'm not going to let this court be used for airing any grievances he might have against the authorities. So Wilkins was sentenced to a life sentence for rape, a life sentence for murder, and 10 years for the arson. And they were all going to run concurrently, which means at the oh. same time. I hate so concurrent. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Um, he seemed pleased with the outcome because they were to serve in a general prison, not back at Rampton. So they're all concurrent. So it's one life sentence. He's already done one, mm. pretty much. One life sentence in a normal prison. So he was like, that's a breeze compared to where I've been. In a bizarre twist of fate, 20 years later, so 2000, Wilkins' father, Alfred, was accused of indecent assault against a nine-year-old girl. Now, he was cleared completely of all three counts, so found totally innocent. But when these things happen, not everyone believes it, do they? Even though he's innocent, just the fact that it had been in the papers and his name had been released meant that the group of vigilantes took it upon themselves. They thought he'd escaped justice and they were going to give it back to him. I mean, you've got to... I mean, I know the system isn't great always, but you've got to sort of trust in it to some extent so that you don't don't start hounding an innocent person. 
Yeah, so his windows were regularly smashed in, yeah. um, graffiti on his flat, calling him a nonce, pedo, etc. Um, it's reported that he made over 80 phone calls to police saying that he needed help, that people wow. were being violent, threatening to him. In February 2001, this just continued because then he's just the local pedo, like people were just targeting him mm. con- constantly. So in 2001, the violence escalated and a couple of intruders broke into the 67-year-old's house and seriously beat him up. Um, He was left really badly injured. And then it was only about a week later that turpentine was poured through his letterbox (gasps) and set on fire. And then, obviously because his windows are constantly smashed in, so they're all boarded up which pretty much made him trapped inside. Oh, my God. Um, and he died from smoke inhalation. Oh, that's horrid. Yep. So does anyone, did anyone go to prison for that? Well, the following year, two men were charged with the murder. They were found guilty and they both received life sentences. But even weirder, nine years later, one of the convictions was overturned because apparently there was some psychological evidence showing that one of the men had made a false confession. Oh, to the arson? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Said that he had a pathological need for attention. But you'd have thought if there were two of them that the other one would have said he wasn't involved. Yeah. But then you see that all the time, like the West Memphis Three, there was only one saying they were there and two saying they wasn't. Mm. And it didn't really matter, did it? True. Once someone's admitted, they're just like, why would you admit it if it's not true? Yeah. So, still not the end of the story. By 2014, so now 61 years old, Stephen Wilkins was serving his time and he was at North Sea Camp Open Prison in Lincolnshire. So he'd obviously been doing pretty well to have been moved to an open prison. He is... Is that where you can go out in the community? I think so, yeah. Wow. He's obviously, I think maybe the routines and the lack of intense... A bad treatment yeah. probably actually really helped settle in that you know you know exactly what's happening when it's going to happen it's the same all the time so I think someone like him can feel quite safe in that sort of environment um on the 14th of June however I keep hitting the microphone sorry I'll say it again on the 14th of June however he was not present for the evening roll call so a search began and Wilkins was soon spotted just outside the prison boundary so he hadn't really gone. <laughs> just standing there he waving. He wasn't really running away. He then, yeah, he was just like outside. So That's then weird. when officers spotted him, he then jumped over a fence into a rapeseed field where the yellow flowers perfectly camouflaged against the waterproofs he had on. And it took about half an hour for him to be finally brought out by um, by officers. And Wilkins just said, oh, I went for a walk and then I fell asleep in the field. Well, we when we were chasing you, yeah, they that shows were. us not true. Of course it wasn't. Um, no one believed him and he was convicted of absconding custody. Um, but I just feel like, do you think that... So, well, he was coming up for release soon in, a couple, in two oh, years. He didn't want to be released. I think so. Because he'd done really well. He, he'd not been... At, but most of his life he'd been in... in, in, in uh, most of his life he'd been in an institution. Yeah. He'd only been out as a child and even then he'd been doing weird fucking things. Yeah. Um, he knew if he did anything really bad, he'd get sent maybe to a psychiatric hospital. Whereas this seems perfect. And I guess if you know the people, you know the staff. 
Yeah. You've been through much worse. You've been in much worse places. So he was given four weeks to run concurrently with his sentence. So it doesn't really make much difference. But the difference it made was that he wouldn't be considered for release then. He was coming up in two years and it's not going to be thought of now because you're obviously a flight risk. And I do think that's probably what he wanted. Mm. It was all in vain anyway. By 2016, when he would have been due for release, it was found that Wilkins had lung cancer and he actually died on April 4th in hospice. (laughs) Aww. (laughs) Wait, yeah. He did a a lot of bad stuff. He did a lot of bad things, but a lot of bad things happened to him too. It's one of those complicated ones. He raped and murdered old women. Yeah. No, it's not excusable though, is it? It's not excusable. Well, that's why he was in prison all his life. Yeah. There you go. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so my story is about Heather Stevenson Snell. And I got a lot of the information from a book called Women Who Kill by Vanessa Howard, which I got on the Kindle for 99p. Nice. That's pretty good. Um, So Heather was born in 1957 in Malta. You know everyone's going to start their own podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's about five other stories in that book. That's it. They're going to be like, oh, we're called Slaying. (laughs) Her father was a soldier in the British Army, so they were living in Malta and um, she moved around quite a lot 
in her childhood. So she found this pretty hard, as anyone would, really, uh, just because it's difficult to make friends. And sort of at that age, you're kind of... All you want is a group of mates, isn't it? So to add to this, um, age seven, her parents divorced. So she moved with her mum and her brother to Canada. Well, Malta's not fun. When I went to mini Europe, which is the greatest place on earth in uh, Brussels, um, the Malta section was crap. Really? That's what I'm basing my judgment on. (laughs) So... um, in Canada, she her, her mum didn't really settle. She didn't really like it. So they were there for a few years. But then um, her mother took them all back to the UK when Heather was about 13. So she was initially sent to a boarding school in Canada. I mean, this mum did not want to spend time. No. <laughs> so she went, sent her straight off to boarding school. Um, Heather didn't enjoy it. Uh, they took the piss out of her accent. Um, and... I guess it was a combination of sort of Canadian and Maltese and... It'd have been all over the shop. Yeah. It'd be like Kelly Osborne's, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, what and the fuck is that? Kids are mean as well because... Oh, now there's a kid with an accent at my school. Everyone always takes them, oh. take the mick a little bit. Obviously, I tell them off. Very xenophobic. Yeah. Like, what? no matter what accent, even if it's a cool one, we're still like... You're different. Yeah. So she went to live with an aunt in Scarborough. She wasn't getting on with her mum. She didn't like boarding school. Um, And she didn't really speak to her father anymore, who was still in Malta. So in order to make friends, Heather had a tactic. So she began to lie. So she told everyone that her dad was a spy and that he worked for a secret agency and that's why he wasn't around. But then she didn't stick to it. So she told some other people that he was a famous writer and author. Um, So she was just bullshitting all over the place um so she was she was there for a few years at 16 she did really badly in her exams she wasn't really that bothered um she began to commit petty theft and she began drinking quite heavily as well um after being in court a few times she was basically on her last warning they said look you're young we don't want to send you to prison but if you keep doing this this is the way it's going to go. So right. it's sort of like last chance to at this point. And at this point, she met um, Leo Snell. Now, he sort of changed it a little bit for her. He owned a bookshop and he was advertising for someone to work there. And she applied and quickly began working there. Um, he was a bit older than her, but I don't think he was sort of creepy older. And um, they began dating quite quickly. Okay. Um, so within months I mean he owns a bookshop that's a step up for her yeah I think she just liked working there she, she got on with him I mean there is a there, there is a pattern of any man that she seems to spend any time with they start dating and shagging and it sort of turns sexual quite quickly so um, right. there's obviously a, some behaviour there I think it's called daddy issues <laughs> probably so within months they were married and they had a baby on the way. So they moved to Penrith, which is like nice, nice village near the Lake District. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's my TripAdvisor review. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. cute. Um, so Heather's marriage became, began, became quite difficult. Um, she, she, you'll see a pattern of her quickly getting into relationships, but then also them not working out. Um, so her and Leo separated. But this time... She right, kept that name, though. Uh, well, she added it on the end. So Heather Stevenson Snell. I mean, I can hardly talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke just for us. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this time, uh, she had a different attitude though. So she sort of, instead of going back to the life that she had, she sort of 
kept it a bit and then did a lot of good stuff. So she enrolled in Open University course. Um, she did very well in this. And I know that for sort of single parents and people on low incomes, I think they offer a lot of courses for free as well. I anyway. don't see the bad in this. Like she had a pretty, she had a quite emotionally neglectful childhood. Yeah. She's had a divorce. She's got a kid. She's trying yeah. to sort her shit out. She did really well at Open University and then she got her qualifications. So she wanted to challenge herself more. So she applied for York University. She when... sounds great. <laughs> now she got accepted. I'm on... sure if she murdered someone, <laughs> they deserved it. Well, so... Was it... Unless it was a kid. Was it a kid? No, it wasn't a kid. See, they probably deserved it. (laughs) They definitely didn't. Oh. So, (laughs) she was accepted onto York University course to do psychology. Um, The same year she got accepted, she did get in trouble again for theft. So, she's sort of... Oh. A bit of the old and a bit of the new with Heather. So, she went on. She completed the degree... She did go to York. I still had her. And then once she completed her degree in psychology, she sort of thought, what can I do now? So she did what? Yeah. <laughs> because of what can you do? Exactly. Um, she decided she would go into counselling. Now, a lot of people think that psychology is effectively sort of therapy and counselling. It's definitely not. They're completely different. And a degree in psychology does not make you a trained counsellor. Um, no. but anyone can set themselves up as a counsellor can you really yeah so you because she had because I quite fancy a bit of that you know yeah because she had like York University psychology degree everyone went yeah brilliant she's definitely going to be a really good counsellor and, and signed up with her I think she was alright but she was it also, is a different skill set though it's a very yeah it's, it's different it's really different so she set up her own practice and she she called herself a psychotherapist um, she offered sort of help with stress, smoking, and this is how I know it's a bit bullshit. Past life regression. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Even though her, her yeah, psychology... Yeah, but that's so fun though. You know, if you could just be pretending like, oh, what do you see? An Egyptian. Great! <laughs> like, You're Cleopatra. Yeah. So, um, but this is surprising because her psychology degree was really a scientific one. It wasn't sort of a humanities one. Um, yeah there's two sort of schools of thought at that so she did like a science degree um but she went into this sort of I don't know like there's an array isn't there so arguably she wasn't really trained for this role but she did quite well and she did write some articles about psychometric testing that she was using so like you know um there's like a Beck came up with a scale of it was linked to depression and she sort of commented on that in an article and wrote some quite high caliber stuff. So she she understood what she was doing okay. and was fairly insightful. Snell is doing swell. I <laughs> am still not convinced. Now, outside of her work, she had somewhat of a double life. She mm-hmm. took drugs. She drank heavily. She collected knives and machetes. Oh, <laughs> and she joined a there women- we go. <laughs> she joined a women's biker club. Now, to be fair, this women's biker club—it's only the knives and machete. Oh, and the drugs. <laughs> yeah, really. The women's biker club—I couldn't. It didn't seem like it was sort of. You know, a lot of biker clubs are linked to organised crime, and they're are sort they? of like a naughty group. That's <laughs> understating, isn't it? There's, yeah, there's like a like the Hell's Angels and are stuff. they crime? Yeah. No, I thought they like helped people. In my mind, a Hell's Angel is a group of, like, motorcycle dudes. They're like a ride-or-die gang. And if they see shit on the road that they don't agree with, they're like, we'll step in. I thought they were, like, roadside vigilantes. No, I think they're more like, we're going to fuck you up. 
oh. if you don't let us eat your food for free in this restaurant. Oh, really? I think so. Why don't they just... Oh. I'd like, yeah, if you know anything about actual motorcycle groups, give us a tweet, let us know. Are they when good or bad? When I went to bad? the pub and we did bike and trike night, they, like, they were lovely bikers that came round. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I had this impression that they were... Into crime! I, really, I thought they were like... I thought the Hell's Angel was like, we look scary, but we're nice. Yeah, but I think that's every bit of like um every bit of like film or tv that's included a biker has tried to flip it oh. and be like oh they seem so nasty and actually this one's really nice but i think it's been done so much that, that i've just absorbed the impression it. is that they're all really nice i don't know enough yeah. bikers so she was in the biker club but i think it was just a load of women riding bikes riding bikes um so 2002 heather put out an advert for a dog sitter she had two was it for a kid (laughs) she had two rottweilers oh great so she went for the scariest looking animals i think rottweilers are actually really nice dogs can you imagine this psychotherapist she's a fucking badass (laughs) you show up and she's there they're in leather yeah i wanted to be sat in like a winged armchair with a rottweiler either side just stroking them yeah so she put his advert and what she wanted was i thought she wanted a dog sitter but in reality what she wanted was someone to live in her house and walk her dogs so really she wanted a, a husband dog sitter she wanted a husband to do the chores but he kind of has to oh. i guess so a guy called adrian sinclair applied for this job now he was a bit of a roamer around and he although this was a weird job he'd done all sorts he'd been like a decorator but he's been like not like a stripper like an actual stripper so he'd done a bit of this bit of that didn't have anywhere to live so for him he's like brilliant live in a nice house walk some dogs happy days yeah so he was well up for it but within weeks they'd started shagging okay sort of like the bookshop all over again so he I guess he the thought... The but with more dog hair. <laughs> yeah. I guess he thought um, he was onto a good thing because she seemed quite sweet. She was well-educated. She was a psychotherapist. Yeah, she, if you're into it, that sounds yeah. really cool. But then she started um, sort of breaking that mold. She showed him the guns that she had. Mm. She was like, here's where I party with my biker friends. Here's all the drugs that we take. And she said to him, if people cross me... I don't take it and I'll attack them. And she said that she'd done this before. So it didn't necessarily put him off, but he was maybe a little bit suspicious. But it did... Maybe he liked that. Well, it did sort of erode away at their relationship and it didn't last that long. So they had this really intense relationship and then it began to fall apart. And eventually she said to him, I don't... This is weird, but she, I'm going to New York for three months on oh, like a writing course... And I want you to leave because her career doesn't stop. She's got a kid. Do not dogs. get in her way. She's going to New York for a writing course, and you will stay with the dogs, and my child will go to boarding school, and I will get shit done. Well, she asked him to leave. Yeah, she hasn't got time for his shit in her life. Well, like, stop dragging me dog. down, moaning about my guns. I mean, like, she's not putting those dogs in kennels. I am three pulling months. the trigger on this New York trip. <laughs> so she goes to New York. He moves out, and then. They're still talking. They're still sex, like having sexy conversations over the phone. But <laughs> you're like, Ew, I don't even want to say phone sex. <laughs> never done I it. I guess they're sort of sexy phone conversations. <laughs> I don't think I'd be good at that. No, it's so awkward. But um, 
So he tells her he started seeing someone new and she is not fucking happy. So she starts going a bit mad. So she starts sending abusive messages to Adrian, abusive messages to his new girlfriend. She finds out his name. Um, She contacts all his friends um, starts making up stories about things that he'd done to her. This is when she'd come back. Um, she'd call up his new girlfriend called Diane and she'd call her a slag, she'd call her a hooker. Um, and Adrian went round, and now he didn't help the situation. So he went round to see Heather and basically said, look, you've got to leave her alone. You've got to stop this. This is, you know, this is too much. But he ended up having sex with Heather oh. when he's around there. So obviously she's getting mixed messages from him then and she thinks all I've got to do is get rid of Diane and we can be together. I bet she had a name for her vagina. <laughs> like, I just get the impression that this, she's the sort of woman who's like, you need to talk to the Iron Lady <laughs> or something like that. What was it that you you called it? Axe, axe wound. Battle crease. Battle crease. She's got a fucking battle crease. <laughs> So she is constantly calling Diane. She's constantly calling Adrian. She's watching them. She's harassing them. So they move away, but she gets their numbers. She gets their address and she starts sending photos of Diane's children. So Diane's freaking out now. Um, Heather phones social services saying that Diane was abusing her children. So she goes deep, right? She... Yeah, she's lost it now. Yeah. And this is all while she's working as a psychotherapist and giving people advice on their on I mean, their if lives. there's one thing we can't falter on, it's her career choices. <laughs> uh, imagine getting um, advice from her, though. What you need to do, get some photographs <laughs> of their children up. and blackmail them. If he breaks up with you, you just set fire to that fucking house. Right. Right? So, Adrian continues to stay with Diane. He has chosen her, but their relationship is suffering, and it's a struggle. I mean, you've got to really want to Mm -hmm. be with someone if you're going through this level of torment. So, he moves out. They stay as a couple, but he doesn't live with Diane and her kids anymore. Um, And even though it's really obvious they're still in a relationship, he's going around most evenings. And if she's really stalking them, she'd know this. Heather backs off and they think, brilliant, it's fixed, it's fine. We'll just won't ever live together. So it appears that she's backed off. What she's really doing is booking herself into a clay pigeon shooting class so she can learn how to shoot guns. Because even though she's got a load, she hasn't even shooting them. (laughs) She's never shot them. so she books this class the guy is like oh yeah you're really interested in clay pigeon shooting she's like no i just want to learn how to use the gun so she's sort of um excited about that um and then she's She's like can you put a wig on the clay pigeon (laughs) (laughs) yeah call it diane so then she sets about a plan to kill diane and frame adrian for the murder so that's her end goal so how the fuck is she going to frame him for the murder? I like, know. Anyone who knows them will know that you've been harassing them. But she's not a clever woman. Um, well, she is a clever woman. That's the weird thing. Thank you. <laughs> but she's not. She's not using her rational brain at this point. Yeah. So she writes a list of the items. Basically, she decides to carry out this murder on Halloween, and. Um, they found in her house a list. Now, as far as I can see, she didn't actually use any of these, well, most of these items, but she bought a black bag, a Barbie mini skirt, practical shoes, but ladylike, 
pink or blue a wig? A Barbie miniskirt as in a miniskirt for a Barbie no. or a miniskirt for her that was Barbie themed? I think it must be Barbie themed. Uh, pink or blue wig? Either one. Black PVC coat? Matrix. Thick Barbie tights and pink gloves. I think her plan was to go out in a costume. So she looked like a man dressed as a up. Is that why? I don't she know. She wanted them to think it was him. I think up. she just maybe wanted to not be spotted. Not be spotted? I know. She's a grown Looking woman. Like wearing... Dominatrix Barbie. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's not what she wore. Um, but she, what she did as well, she also hid bikes at like friends' houses around. Although I don't understand why, because she literally just drove to the house. Um, and she wore, she got some items of clothing that used to belong to Adrian and she wore them and then she put a white sheet over and drew like a ghost face on top so no one could see that she's wearing these clothes underneath but again it's not a clever idea because her dna is going to be all over those dressing clothes. up in like the sort of clothes that you're left with from an ex-boyfriend to be fair they're quite good usually the sort of clothes you're left with are like hoodies joggers yeah, yeah. like but her dna is going to be all over them anyway if she's knocking around wearing them and he's not been with her for ages, so she's probably been wearing them all the time. Yeah. So then she also took a scream, a screamer mask, like from the film Scream, and then a shotgun, and then she had a bike helmet with her, and she drove to um, Diane and Adrian's house. What well, Diane was living there. So she arrived and she banged on the door, and no one answered. I think Diane probably looked through the people and went, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." So she was wearing the ghost sheet mm. and the scream mask. I think so. Um, oh, but- so it can be like Scooby Doo when they pull the mask off. It's like it's still a ghost. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I like that. That's a clever idea. <laughs> Double mask. Okay. So no one answered the door. I think you don't. I mean, it was like mid, like eleven o'clock midnight. Mm. It was ridiculous. And did today. you say it was Halloween too? So you yeah. think it was some shitty trick or treaters? Yeah, yeah. You know, in Milan, all the kids they just trick or treat around the shops. Really? Yeah, like because everyone lives in flats, so they're like all just an like iPhone apple store <laughs> yeah no literally they're all just going down the high street and the shops would have sweets for them or they'd give them other things because we were in this focaccia shop at the time and like so they were just like chopping up like little chunks of nice yummy focaccia and give it cute. to the kids i was like i want this mm. carry on um so no one answered the door so she continued to knock loudly so after a few minutes uh, a neighbor called bob wilk who used to be a soldier and he's pretty badass. Um, and he's staying with his fiance who lives next door. So he opens the door and basically he says to this person, why are you making so much noise? Obviously they're not in. Just fuck off home. And um, they begin arguing. And then um, Diane hears this. And I think she's probably been behind the door the whole time because then she opens it. Because I think she thinks, well, at least if Bob's here, we can confront her together. Or whoever this is, I can find out who it is. But I'm safe now. Yeah. So, Bob goes to grab Heather's mask, and as he does, she shoots him in the torso. Oh. And he falls back, and a neighbour calls 999. So, she just leaves. She walks off, returns to her car, and drives away. And within an hour, she's pulled over by police and arrested, because... She's wearing a ghost face. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, they can track the car, you know, it's not that difficult to find out. Everyone knew it would be her. Well, yeah. Um... So, 
it's it's the, a crap murder and she didn't even get the person that she was going for poor bob wilk completely innocent bystander yeah just trying to do the right thing out. so it's just a mess and he was obviously terrific. just like thinking this is ridiculous i'm just gonna see who you are like he was trying yeah. to be he was being really brave and just like trying to sort it out yeah it's really sad horrific so Heather went on trial in September 2004 um, and Adrian and Diane, ironically, undid their relationship at this point. I think it was just too much for it. Um, it's a lot to go through. Yeah. I mean, Diane she's must be feeling die. horrendous as well. Like you'd get yeah. serious survivor's guilt. And- Awful. Um, Bob, the victim, was spoken about as a wonderful, loving fiance, brother, really great guy. Um and then Heather Stevenson Snell received 22 years for Bob's murder and uh, she also had concurrent sentences so she had Diane's attempted murder and charges for stalking so she's still in prison now. So, yeah, happened on Halloween um, but an absolute ridiculous an absolute murder. shocker that. Yeah. Let's not blame the bikers for it until I get more information. Yeah. I need to look into bikers. Oh, maybe we can do a biker gang next week. Expose what are the they truth. involved in? I don't know that they are. Because aren't you just don't you just get together because you like riding bikes and like, isn't it like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're dodgy. I watched I'm an sure episode of Four Weddings where she was like having a biker wedding and it was just like they just had a barbecue. It was all very pleasant. We need more The same woman from the Four Weddings Biker Wedding was then on the Great Model Railway Challenge <laughs> in a steampunk model railway challenge team. I think she just flits from like weird group to weird group so she can be on TV. I think this is evidence that you're watching too much I love TV. the Great Model <laughs> Railway Challenge. It's insane. There are serious, the highs are really fucking high. The lows are really low. It's, this week's was really emotional because oh they were doing it for a team member who died and they were trying to support the club. Like it's serious. <laughs> well it's not about trains it's like they have to model these huge layouts and build it and add animated elements and will the train run on the track you never know till the demonstration <laughs> oh my god i bet it always does it's so good <laughs> it sounds like it's shit. so good it's so good there was huge drama the other week because ray was missing and then he kept having cups of tea they're like ray what are you doing he's like i'm just having a brew and they're like you need to get the viaduct on now oh my god it was so good the viaduct was fine uh, but no one believed in ray i did tell you what that's about the amount of drama i want after a hard day i can't even tell you it's brilliant <laughs> right um can we haven't asked for this for a while but can you stick us a review on itunes please so. five stars it will make a difference we're we need to creep our way back or just listen to us on spotify because we're on there now yeah i don't think we get any money for advertising then though so oh yeah don't listen to spotify. if you've got a choice do it somewhere else um and uh you can donate to our patreon at patreon.com forward slash lot of the pod or podcast or something like that uh tweet us facebook us tell us what you know about biker gangs yep um and if you've ever uh reported something weird to the police that solved a murder Ooh, let us know anything literally tell me if you worked in rampton tell me if you're in a biker gang tell me <laughs> if you've ever solved a murder do some research and email it to me and I will credit you for the next week's episode. Yeah, if you've got a lot to say, don't send it to a Facebook messenger. Send email. it in an email. Write a lot. 
write enough that I can speak for 20 minutes reading out your email and I'll be happy. Slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com. Have a lovely week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Take Bye. care. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.